Hello, and welcome back to The Moral Minority Show. As always, I'm your host, Joel Sam, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Josh Luckett. Josh, what's the most interesting thing that happened this weekend? Oh, man. Um, I was actually playing code names with our guest, and uh, I totally manipulated his teammate into, into revealing... Um, uh, the, uh, the, what they needed to win the game, um, and reminding us that it was the wrong answer. Um, so it limited our, our potential answers, um, uh, so that we could try to get the right one. We still missed it because it was just really hard. It was a really difficult, uh, combination of words. So it was a bummer, but, um, he, Cole, he denied it. Cole denied it. Um, I'll introduce him here in a second. He denied that. <laughs> I manipulated his teammate, um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mind worked him. Um, it was impressive. It was beautiful. And unfortunately we didn't get the dub, but um, don't worry. Next, next time, uh, next time I get Cole on the board, it's over. Well, yeah, let's make sure to um, hold the phones open for ESPN when they call for the top 10 highlights of most boring board game <laughs> moments ever to be described on a podcast. Um, You're wild, bro. <laughs> top 10 moment. Do you know what this reminds me of? I'm sorry. I have to jump in. This reminds <laughs> me of whenever you go on sports center and one of the top 10 plays is a crazy dunk. And then you look at the score of the game and they're down by 30. This is what this reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect analogy. What happened? <laughs> Uh, y'all just got beaten the game before so it was uh we were almost about to sweep the set for two games straight it's it's cool it's whatever man my man's got board game (laughs) grudges over here well all that aside welcome back to the moral minority we're in season six and we're talking about deconstruction what does it mean to go through faith transitions and today we're joined by our guest Cole Niles who's been on the show before. Josh, why don't you go ahead and introduce Cole for those who may not know him? Yeah, Cole's a genius, uh and I mean that like seriously. I uh <clears throat> I've gotten to know him over the last uh about 9 months or so. Um he started off uh he he or at least how I met him, he guest wrote on uh, my old platform, the Thomas Table, and, uh, and then he had a very intriguing article on his platform on Orthodoxy, um, and uh, we, you know, met up through through mutual friends and have uh, been able to foster a really genuine and beautiful friendship, and uh, and have been able to collaborate multiple times. He's been on the show before, like you said, during our politics series. I've jumped on um, his platform on Orthodoxy, which he's going to talk about a lot in this episode. Um, multiple times we've been able to have great discussion. Um, my latest uh, piece that I wrote on there is honestly one of the hardest pieces I've ever written, and and also one of the most uh, um, one of the most beautiful pieces I think I ever, I ever will write, just because it came out of pain, and I was so. Um, I was so appreciative of Cole allowing me to put that piece on there. And so, yeah, he's got this amazing platform where he works through his own deconstruction and tries to anticipate things that other people may be deconstructing and writing incredible articles to engage people in their, in their seasons of, uh, of doubt and, and, uh, skepticism. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I honestly can't say enough amazing things about this guy. And I'm so excited to have another fun episode and another fun conversation with him. Yeah, absolutely. Cole joined us last year um, for one episode titled Voting with Wisdom. Was there another episode that you joined us for, Cole? No, no that was that was that the was first it. one. That seems like a kind of random know, right? episode. Kind of rude of kind of rude of you guys to not have me on a little bit more. <laughs> okay. I have so much to offer. Josh just called me a genius and I'm not going to uh, say that I'm not. I mean, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh man. I'm super happy to be back. Yeah, no, we're super happy, awesome. super excited to have you, especially because, you know, last time we talked about politics and, and, you know, the cultural moment at the time. But this time we're kind of talking about what I, what I consider at least to be your specialty, um, which is, well, I guess your specialty is deconstruction. Um, so I think you're highly qualified to yeah. be on this season of the show. But uh, Cole, <laughs> maybe it's best to start by telling us your story, um, just your story of faith and your story of unlearning or Better yet, what does the word deconstruction mean to you? Yeah, those are all really good questions altogether. Um, I think that you kind of hit it on the head with deconstruction. I, I think it's a lot of it is just unlearning, um, which is why, yeah, I think that it's a, something that everyone should go through because we all have things that we learned um, or were given, I like to think, uh, of, of, you know, the terminology of like this faith passed down to us. Um, we have things that we learned um, that were not the faith. Like we have, we have culture, we have uh, politics, we have all these things that are embedded in faith that we were told is the gospel, but it's, it's not, it's, it's things that we have to unlearn. And I think, so I think that deconstruction to answer your question is unlearning. It's mm-hmm. just the process of unlearning of unwinding, um, everything that we sort of were told was the truth and we kind of come to realize it maybe isn't, or at least it's up for grabs. I think that's a big part of it is like, I think deconstruction a lot of times gets billed as this like anti movement, like this anti Christian movement when I don't, I don't think that it is. Um, I think that it's just the process of unwinding. And then once you unwind, once you, you know, sort of, have leveled everything out, then you start to build back up again if you want to, or, or you get, you really can do whatever you want at that point. It's nothing against Christianity. There's nothing against a certain tradition or anything like that. It's just the process of asking questions and unlearning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and then I guess to talk about my, my, my own deconstructive journey, I went to a private school, um, uh, in, in high school and it was, uh, a really uh, hyper-reformed Calvinistic private school. And there are a lot of things I really loved about it. A lot of teachers I really loved. Also, like a lot of things I just, I think I really hated about it. Um, I think I learned a lot of things um, that were wrong. Uh, and and so um, a lot of that has to do with, I think, this um, focus on depravity and, and some self-hatred that sort of gets embedded in some of that theology, um, which is a big part of the deconstructed movement for me. But I think that I learned a lot of these things. Um, and then I went off to college and was like, I don't know really what I believe about any of this stuff anymore. And then uh, I became uh, enamored with theological questions like about penal substitutionary atonement, um, nonviolence. Um, I mean, 
racial issues that are affecting the church that I was going to and, and, and inerrancy. Um, Those are really big hitters. I feel like for a lot of people that are deconstructing and those were the big hitters for me. Um, So I started to kind of take a step back and say, all right, uh, I believe that God is truth. um, And I don't know exactly uh, what it is yet, but I'm going to just follow truth. And wherever that gets me, I know that God's going to be there. Like, I'm not scared of anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm excited to just follow truth to its bitter end, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, Colt, when you were talking, I thought of an analogy that I think may be helpful in this conversation. I think everyone knows the feeling of pulling your headphones out of your pocket. Well, I guess not anymore because we don't really use like wired headphones anymore. But back in the day, um, in the dark ages of wired headphones, you know, you pull them out of your pocket and they're all tangled up and you have two choices. One, you could just like keep the knots in there and just like try to use them or you could unravel the knots and unraveling the knots takes work. It's it takes focus and attention and it's something that you're intentionally doing. After the knots are unraveled, you have two choices. You can continue to leave your headphones kind of in like a loose configuration so that they can get either knotted again or they can stay unraveled. Or you can choose to coil them up in a way to which they won't be unraveled again or they won't get knotted again. Um, And that's kind of the analogy that popped into my head as you were talking about the idea of deconstruction. I think we don't realize, I, I think critics of deconstruction look at the unraveling process and they say, oh, this process is laborious and a lot of people who end up unraveling stay that way. They stay unraveled. Um, but just because some people stay unraveled doesn't mean that the unraveling process isn't in a good process. And it's a process that's necessary in order to go from a place of complicated chaos or or inefficiency or um maybe uh cognitive dissonance to a place of order and harmony and a place that's closer to the truth yeah yeah i I want to go ahead ahead. no you go ahead well i was just going to say i think that there's this idea i've seen it a lot um even from teachers that i really really love of like yeah, kind of what you said, uh, that your deconstruction has to sort of like lead toward this reconstruction. Basically, what they mean by reconstruction is like, all right, deconstruct some other tradition and reconstruct in my tradition mm-hmm. or deconstruct um, what I don't believe and reconstruct what I what I believe. You don't you don't really hear people saying, oh, like deconstruct, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever form of Christianity and reconstruct it as like alt-right racist christianity no you don't you don't hear that but that's the same like the same premise of like well there's one ideology you should get let go of that and then reconstruct how i like it i don't really buy into that and i think that like deconstructive process is just that it's deconstructive and and after that point like i don't think that there's um if you're following truth i don't think that there's a moral imperative to reconstruct in any sort of way i i as if you get to the deconstructing construction and you're like, okay, now I don't have any more questions. Yeah, that's not true. Like people are like so much more complicated than that, and they're gonna reconstruct something. But like to tell people that they have to reconstruct a certain way, I think is just um, 
honestly, I think it's a little bit coercive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it's a way of sort of guilting people into having a faith that they don't have. And it's the same, you know, sort of spiritual trauma that they just endured maybe at another, uh, as another form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. That makes right. sense, right? No, that's such a good point. That's such a good point. I, I like that that last one of those last pieces you said. Even when we reconstruct, we still have questions. I would consider myself as someone who has, um, well, I want to be careful how I say this. Somewhat reconstructed my faith to where I feel um, pretty happy about where I am doctrinally and socially in my ideology. But at the end of the day, I still have a million questions yeah. about the Bible, about social stuff, about reality, about love, about hate, about wars. So I have a lot of questions. You know, I, I think uh, something that's beautiful is I remember one time I was out late at night with some friends and I was at this campfire and there was this girl that was there. Um, she went to a local church in College Station and was a teacher and uh, so a woman. And uh, and we were talking, we were talking about faith, we were talking about theology. For whatever reason, I felt comfortable enough to kind of like open mm-hmm. up about some of my um, kind of new landing spots that weren't as quote unquote, well, you know what? I'm not going to say they weren't orthodox. They just weren't fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. Um, they were still in many ways following Christian orthodoxy. But at one point in the conversation, she said, you sound free. And I remember I heard yeah. that and my heart like kind of leapt a little bit. Like I was just like, I really appreciate that. Like yeah. I am free. Like I was, I was at a point where I was afraid to believe things and I was afraid to tell people that mm-hmm. I believe certain things. And I got to a place where I was like, no, I, I do believe that and I'm free. And I remember in many ways, while she was right, she was also not right because I remember one time, Cole, you were over at my apartment and um, and I, I just looked at you and I was just like, dude, you're free. You're free in ways that I honestly can't be because I, I mostly end up um, because of my background and uh, my resume and the churches I've worked for and the education I've received. Like I'm going to potentially end up pretty consistently in spaces that still have some kind of stuffy kind of theology and like, and aren't really ready for bigger questions, aren't really ready to expand, to, to be more sophisticated and nuanced in their thinking. And, uh, and, and in many ways, I mean, especially on a public platform, there are just things that I cannot say um, or, or, you know, irregardless of how, I have maybe reasoned theologically kind of behind the scenes and in my own personal devotion and uh, readings and and prayer. And in many ways, Cole, like you get this just freedom to just be like, I think this right now. And I don't even know if I'm going to think this two months from now, but this is what I think right now. And I think that's one of the things that people miss is in many ways, <laughs> deconstruction, as much as people, as much as it can be a very traumatic thing for people, especially because of their past experiences, people forget that in many ways, people who get to deconstruct and get to, and, and get to, f- they get to fly a little bit and yeah. and they're not constrained by 
old dogmas and traditions and and the former things, if you will, like they they kind of get to fly and where they land, they'll land, you know, but they kind of get to stay in the sky and fly for a while. And so I think that's important to say um, for people who are listening is like, there is a freedom that you have when you say, you know what, I'm really struggling with all of that stuff that I heard growing up. So I'm going to take off for a little bit and I'm going to fly for a little bit. And there are going to be some people flying with me and, and we'll, we'll see where I land. Yeah. That's, I, I love, oh, go ahead. I was just go. saying, that's really interesting that you put it that way. I think for, you know, Josh, you seem to be someone who, uh, you're kind of always under, under reconstruction. You're always like working on it. And, and, and that's been true for you for a long time. And I'd say that's true for me now, but a few, you know, three or four years ago, I went through a massive season of deconstruction where it, is debilitating and it would, you know, consume my life and it was impeding my um, spiritual life and impeding my relationships. And, you know, you talk about this idea of freedom. And for me, a lot of my story is connected with the idea of feeling imprisoned ideologically and wanting to be free. But at the same time, I am such a community oriented and people oriented person that the idea of freedom in solitude is way worse than imprisonment in a community. Um, mm, that's and, interesting. And, and maybe, you know, and I had to do that. I had to have that season of freedom and solitude, uh, which was really painful for me. It was mainly painful for me because of the solitude. It was mainly painful because I felt, oh, if I'm vocal about these ideas, I'm going to lose some relationships or I'm going to lose ministry positions or it's going to, it's going to cause conflict or it's going to be awkward. Um, yeah. And so those are like real issues for me. Like those are really debilitating for me and, and I'm an engineer. My job was never on the line even. So, you know, that's, that, that's just me. This is why I couldn't handle being uh, in vocational ministry. But um, at the same time though, after going through that season and now I'm at this place of this kind of what I would consider healthy continual reconstruction where I'm open-handed about the theology that I hold and I'm always reading and I'm always reevaluating and always discussing and I'm comfortable being more transparent with what I think and what I'm processing. Um, and I think I do feel that freedom now, but I definitely don't crave the idea of just being completely independent. Um, Cole, what do you think about that? What do you think about maybe that dichotomy of, independence versus kind of being rooted somewhere but continually reconstructing versus kind of being rooted and not never changing well yeah. i don't know if any of us would add no yeah that, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i that's a really interesting question and i think it's also it hopefully it goes without saying but i'll say it just in case like everyone's deconstruction looks different and i don't think that anybody has a wrong or right way of doing it like i think that um, a lot of people need to disassociate um, from certain communities because they are in some way or another um, imprisoning them in a way that they don't want to be imprisoned. And then I think in other ways, um, com community is super, super important for this sort of thing. I mean, it can be really isolating, super isolating um, to be like the only person that sort of is going through a deconstructive process, um, which is why I think like your deconstruction is should be open to people who love you, not people who believe the same things mm -hmm. as you, whether they are at your church currently, 
that, you know, you, you're like, I don't know what the heck I believe, but I know I don't believe what this church believes. If there's people that love you there, they'll, they'll work through deconstruction mm-hmm. with you. They might have opinions and, and you have to sort of take that, um, as you will, but people who love you are going to want what's best for you. And what's best for you is to get to the bottom of like, what's feeling like it's trapping you. Um, and I, I also want to say like, I have in some level, like a lot of privilege, uh, of deconstruction that a lot of other people don't, um, like Josh, whenever we had that conversation, it was just interesting because I like hadn't realized the sort of barriers that I don't have that you do have. And it's it's just an eye-opening thing. And it's another way of just checking really quick, like, oh, wow, like I don't, you know, there's a lot more going on for other people with this. Because for me, yeah, it's like I am I am so free uh, to go really wherever I want. And I, and I love that, but not everybody is. And, and it's stupid. I feel like there's a lot of like progressive Christian deconstructive Christian spaces that really hold people to this standard of like, no, you have to, you have to deconstruct this way. You have to be completely quote unquote, completely free in the same way that I am. Um, and that's not true. Like, that's just not true. Like deconstruction is a process of healing. And if it's not healing you or if it's hurting you, if it's breaking relationships you don't want, like you need to evaluate. I think each person needs to evaluate like what deconstruction is doing for you. Because I think that for some people, like they don't want to deconstruct. And it's like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with mm-hmm. that. Um, I think that they should find a place where they're comfortable spiritually. And the point of deconstruction is to find that place spiritually where you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then uh, another thing that like, Joel, you talking about sort of this like deconstruction as a process that got me thinking is I have a friend and and Josh, a friend of Josh's too, who she's brilliant. I mean, just such a smart person and she's an atheist and she said something so, so true to me that I don't hear from Christian spaces that I wish that I did. And I think it's relevant to this. She said, Cole, you, it's such a lie that you have to be in, that you have to be consistent. Like, it's such a lie that you have to be a consistent, like, I have to believe this today and tomorrow and the day after, which is why Josh, whenever you say like, yeah, like I am free, I feel very free to sort of bounce around because I'm not bound to this, I guess, fear of like, oh, well, what if I abandon you know, orthodoxy as, as it is, or what if I abandon this community? Because really like I'm, I'm kind of consigned myself to the fact that like, I I, I love using this analogy of I'm wandering in the wilderness and I might be wandering my whole life. There's a lot of Israelites that wandered the whole life in the wilderness. Um, but I know for a fact, I'm not going back to Egypt. Like whatever, whatever is in the wilderness, like is way better than what was in Egypt because God's with you. Like God, God's with you through this deconstructive process. I truly, truly believe that. And maybe you see the promised land in this lifetime and maybe you, you, you're on your deathbed and you're like, I still have no idea what's going on. I have mm-hmm. faith that God's still there with you and all of that. So long story short, consistency isn't as 
I don't think we should revere it as much as we do. And I think that deconstruction is like allowing yourself to be inconsistent for Mm -hmm. once instead of saying, oh, well, I'm this way and I have to believe this thing or, oh, I do this at my church. I have to do this at my church. Mm -hmm. It's like sometimes I think that it's very freeing and not for everybody, but for me, very freeing to just say, I don't have to be anything other than authentically Mm -hmm. myself. And, and I'm just going to work through that with God. Yeah. I mean, that's so good. That, that leads me to, in one second, Joel, that leads me to an obvious follow-up, uh, which is, I, I think, like, um, uh, for the most part, I 100% agree with that. Um, and I don't even think I would be the one that's really going to push back here. But, you know, say there's people in the audience listening and they think, but wait, but Cole, you have a public platform. So you have an orthodoxy, you got hundreds of followers. Um, uh, you have a lot of people who really enjoy um, your thoughts or who are at least intrigued by your thoughts. And you're pretty prolific too, by the way. I think like weekly, just mm-hmm. about, you're, you're getting content out um uh you specifically i mean you'll have guests every now and then and then you have you know um nikki who right who's also going to be on an episode eventually but who 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 uh who will write some on there or, or contribute um but you have a platform and some people would probably push back on what you just said and say with that platform is there any responsibility to be consistent slash um as you are is it is it a good idea to be deconstructing publicly uh through a platform is it a is it a healthy idea uh to publicly be putting out um information thoughts content as you're deconstructing and you you know kind of garner a garner a following um is that an appropriate thing to do what would you what would you say to that Yeah. Well, I think, so I guess there's two, the reason that I do what I do on unorthodoxy and, and, and blog as I blog, um, is not to accrue followers or, and it's not to, um, like, I love that things resonate with people, but I don't write things in order to resonate with people. Mm. I really don't, which I was actually bemoaning this to you josh of like i just wrote something um on a topical thing and i i stand by what i wrote and i really like what i wrote um but i didn't it was one of my least favorite things i've ever written um but it did numbers (laughs) it did numbers and i'm and i'm just sitting there like why didn't y'all do this for linguistic shadows or why didn't y'all do this for you know one of my other pieces that i just absolutely adored um so I don't, so all that to say, I think that there's freedom in that, like, I don't do this for other people. I do it for myself and it's, and it's like an open journal. Mm. It's an open notebook, um, into like what I'm thinking and what I'm going through right now. And the reason that I do that publicly is because I think that we're really scared of putting words behind some thoughts. Sometimes I think that whenever you, actualize something by saying it out loud or writing it down or putting it into the public. Um, there's a sort of level of like, all right, I have to, um, I have to believe this in order to say it like this. Mm. And I think that that's a good thing. Like if you can 
consistent or you can simultaneously be inconsistent, but also bold and authentic in what you're saying, which is what I try to do. I think that you have a pretty good recipe for self-realization, actualization, and discovery. Because I say this, I said this in a piece, and I think it's maybe in the bio for the entire website. Like, I'm going to be inconsistent. I'm going to be, um, there's going to be things on this journey that is unorthodoxy that's going to probably contradict themselves. I'm sure that there's already things that do. Um, but guess what? You're a human being. And if you were to look back six months ago and say, oh, well, I'm the same person that I was six months ago, you'd be lying to yourself. Mm. So then why do, I, why do we expect people like, why would anybody expect me? At least this is what I would say to somebody that expects that of me. Why do you expect me to be consistent when you're six months ago, you can look and see all this ways, all these ways you've grown and all these ways you've changed. Like, so have I, and I'm going to just do it publicly. I'm not going to try to maintain this persona of like that. I know everything and that I'm completely consistent and that all my theory is all worked out. Like it's not like it's always changing. And I think that that's a good thing. Like, I think that growing is such a good thing. Um, and it's cool to see the process of that. Yeah, no, that's, that's so good. I, I think, I'm thinking about not only this concept of being kind of constantly evolving and being okay and open with that and not like keeping that a secret. Um, I think that for me, when I have been more transparent and more open about my process and saying like, I don't actually have a, you know, a flag planted on this issue. Um, I'm still working through it. Or maybe I'll have a provisional conclusion that I'm still open to new evidence about that has felt freeing. And and what yeah. what really amplifies and helps that is when I, you know, what you were saying earlier is the people who you want to be open with in seasons of deconstruction are the people who will love you. And that's yeah. more important than if they're going to agree with you or not. And that seems counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I still haven't realized that um, because I still am afraid to talk about some of the ideas I'm deconstructing with people who I know love me. Um, but whenever I have been open about something I was scared to share or something or a question I was scared to share and I was met with love, that was so Mm -hmm. affirming and that was so validating to say that like, Oh wow, I really feel great that you love me in the middle of my mess in the, the fact that I'm working through this. Um, now there have been times where I'm, I've been met with opposition or conflict as well but then i realized like Mm -hmm. those people weren't necessarily as invested in my life or maybe they're invested to a degree but uh or or maybe they're invested seasonally but it wasn't like a long-term um loyalty and i've just realized the value of just being okay with being comfortable now i'm someone who like i'm getting ready to move to a new city and look for new communities and I'm making a spreadsheet of all these churches and like looking at all these things. And I'm like, oh man, like, how am I going to, how am I going to prioritize? Like, what am I going to prioritize when I look for a community? And I think what's funny is I'm coming from a community where I disagree with them on a lot, like a lot of things, but I do yeah. feel genuinely loved. And in this season of transition, as I'm saying my goodbyes, all I can think about is how much I'm going to miss these people that love me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm barely thinking about how like, oh man, I'm glad I don't have to like sit under this theology anymore. It's like, that's yeah, sure. That's there. But what's so much more 
um, overwhelming is the feeling of like, oh, I'm going to miss these people that love me. And so I, I totally agree. Yeah. Like that's the priority. And we need to, uh, people who are wired like myself need to learn to be vulnerable and take that risk of saying, I may be rejected, but the people who love me will stand by me even when my theology is a mess. Yep. That's, that is, I think that's so good because we have churches that are built on like adhering to orthodoxy instead of loving mm-hmm. each other, which I think is so weird. It like, it, Like, so what binds you all together? You say, well, like we, we all believe in inerrancy. (laughs) It's like, I think that he'd be like, wait, what? And then, and then he looks around and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, that family, uh, their, you know, their, their son died because they couldn't pay for a surgery and, and Jesus is going, wait, so you're telling me that you all meet in this space with each other because you believe the same things, but you'll let that family not be able to pay their bills so that their son could have surgery. Like, I I think that there's like, love is, has always been the thing that binds us together. It always has been. And I think that we're in this weird spot with the church where like, we say like, oh no, orthodoxy or like believing the same things is more important than loving each other. We wouldn't say that out loud, but it's how we act. And, and which is why like Josh and I are in community with each other and we don't believe basically anything the same (laughs) and like 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 and and it's crazy because he's wrong about so much but i love him so much nice yeah you tell him people don't tell him enough yeah do it do it Uh, now that you give me a public platform i'm gonna do it josh no but like (laughs) we have we have these ideas of what community is as being something that we it's so counterintuitive Mm -hmm. community is just loving people with each other and and that's like if your deconstruction involves a loving atheist helping you work through things that is more healthy than like your youth pastor that you talk to twice a year trying to bring you back into the fold so to speak uh because he thinks that your questions are too dangerous like that's so unhealthy to me and like it's so restrictive and it doesn't bring about eternal life and the fruits of that are almost always more questions that bring you more despair rather than freedom and hope, which is what I think Jesus gives us. Mm. Yeah. I want to, I want to affirm that. Well, first I, I want to, um, I want to condemn the idea that I'm wrong about so much. Um, <laughs> so I just want to say the devil is a lie. Um, but, uh, but no, I want to affirm that because I remember uh, that last part uh, about like um, just a comfort that you can find in love that could be missed in kind of this like um, straight laced here, are the here, are the seven points of uh, community that you have to abide by to be here. Uh, you know, I remember when I was going through my deconstruction, which is more of a kind of social and orthopraxy deconstruction than it is an ideolo- or theological deconstruction. It was very theological. Sometimes I underestimate, I under like I kind of undersell just mm-hmm. how theological how much I've had to deconstruct theologically over the years. So I, I undersell that a little bit, but it was more social than anything. 
And I remember the church just didn't feel like a safe space to wrestle through my political quandaries and my um, my my social um, kind of ideology and paradigm. And I found a lot of comfort in atheists mm-hmm. and a lot of community in how they were talking about um, political science. I found mm-hmm. their uh, their understanding of of human dignity to be mm-hmm. far more rich mm-hmm. and sophisticated than anything I was finding in the church that I was working in at the time, which is which is kind of damning. I found their understanding of truth to power mm-hmm. to be far more sophisticated yeah. and um and honestly beautiful than anything that I was experiencing. You know, in the church, I was experiencing this kind of rugged hierarchy mm-hmm. and um ultimately kind of um the the you know whatever your goal was your ultimate pin ultimate goal had to be unity even if it was maintaining the status quo mm-hmm. and you know the the atheist political commentators that i was beginning to follow and and really honestly process with even though no we weren't verbally engaging i was just kind of listening and taking in things that you know their understandings of all these of all these big areas of the humanities of 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 the prophetic voice of how you use your pen you know like honestly so much of how i write has been inspired by them yeah i'm honestly not very inspired by a lot of christian um Mm -hmm. uh bloggers or article writers yeah take that cole um Huh? <laughs> you're not inspiring. Josh says you're not inspiring. Not a shot at Cole. Not a shot at Cole. Because um, there are some great ones, and I can name. I can rip off a, a bunch of names right now of Christian writers that I think are amazing. But I'm mostly inspired a lot by the kind of tenacity and the intestinal fortitude of like a lot of atheist writers. And 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 I'm saying all that to say I I, I begin to find so much more comfort in that community because it felt like a space where i could be myself Mm. i could actually be black which is crazy i felt the freedom to be black in those spaces i you know and of course these aren't just me listening to talking heads these are also i have friends that are atheists or agnostic and and i just felt more freedom to talk about you know um uh you know issues of sexuality or issues of what happens to people post-mortem or um, I just felt so much more freedom to have those conversations and to feel like, man, I've got convictions. I've got a decent, like, you know, idea of what I think the Bible's communicating. I got a lot of church history and different things to kind of put all those thoughts together. But ultimately, I was like, but I don't feel like I need to nail anything down in this group. And I think one of the things that is so tragic is that comparison you just made that's so true. Oftentimes, people feel significantly less safe to wrestle through things with a youth minister who's literally paid to be a shepherd, a mm-hmm. shepherd, mm-hmm. Yeah. than they are with some atheist friend that's just saying, or some agnostic friend that's just saying something as simple as, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's... We've got, we've got it. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. 
it's it's crazy too because those like you said these people are paid to be shepherds but they end up essentially being warriors for a tribe and something i think that we have to realize is that and this is you know there's nothing wrong with this in and of itself but like christians have an agenda like they think that atheists or agnostics have an agenda too and it's like okay well maybe but so do you like you want them to be a christian and you want them to return to the fold so like you can say like oh i don't have an agenda here but you but you do if you're paid to let people or to bring people back into the church right but this is where love comes in is like love doesn't have an agenda like love wants you and you like, like you only, like it doesn't want like you minus your questions or you minus your doubts, like love, which is what we should be building community on. Doesn't mm-hmm. do that. And and it's, but the church, once again, the community is not built on love. It's built on orthodoxy. And so whenever people have questions, they treat it like something lacking rather than something growing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. instead of seeing a question as something that could be on their heart from God, they see it as some sort of um, temptation, or maybe it's a clue, quote unquote, into like their like sin um, or something like that. When in actuality, like maybe God puts questions on our heart because those questions matter and they lead to growth and knowing Him more. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, that's oh, that was so well said. I love that because the the idea. I mean, it's so crazy to me standing here where I am now and not where I was a few years ago, that we can look at questions and view them as dangerous when the questions could just be the Holy Spirit working in our lives and leading us to something greater. And yes, the process may be painful, but I mean, what process of growth isn't? And I think that's just the beauty of of life and the beauty of reality. And we, we can look at, you know, church history and look at huge chunks where it's like, wow, the, ch- the whole church was way wrong about this. But yet, that doesn't yep. mean that no one there was, wasn't was following Jesus. That doesn't mean that that entire mm-hmm. chunk of history was, um, yeah, they were, they were wrong about things. But right. that doesn't invalidate mm-hmm. the faith and the growth and the movement that they were making. And so yeah. we need to acknowledge that just because we're in the 21st century doesn't mean we're right about everything. Um, and Mm -hmm. the whole idea of coming to a place where we think we have arrived, I think that sense of arrival is the same sense, the same attitude that prevented the Pharisees from recognizing Jesus when he came. But the people who recognized him were the people who were condemned by the religious authorities and the people who repented, um, at the baptism of John. Mm -hmm. Those were the people who were able to recognize Jesus. Um, more so than yeah. most of the Pharisees. Gosh, you know how I, tricky I love that. you know how tricky narratives are, y'all. Like, it's, narratives are so tricky. So, like the 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 great battle between Jesus and the Pharisees, which honestly is one of the greatest stories in human history, is this kind of battle between um, this kind of you know country bumpkin. Um, lower middle class prophet, well, poor <laughs> prophet, and this kind of religious aristocracy, and it, it's so funny to me because like people can do with that narrative whatever the heck mm-hmm. they want to. So I see fundamentalists 
paint themselves in the narrative as Jesus and paint like the wokest or like the deconstructionists or people like that as the Pharisees. I've seen, yeah. of course, we all know that like Protestants see themselves as the Jesus and Catholics as the Pharisees. And, you know, of course we, you know, if if I, I'll say for myself, I, I think, um, you know, people who are genuinely um, following uh, Jesus um, see themselves in that in that narrative as Jesus, but the 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 you know the rugged fundamentalists who are um, kind of suffocating people's faith as the Pharisees. And so it's so interesting how yeah. that narrative that okay, I I don't want to sound super certain because there is can be sin uncertainty, but it's like it feels like it's the the narrative is screaming loudly at people who suffocate people's faith. Um, people who um, overemphasize culture wars, um, people who are um, uh, just unapologetically, radically traditionalist and status quo maintainers. It's like, it feels like the narrative is like screaming at them, hey, you're walking in step. You're not a Pharisee, but you are walking in step or getting close to approaching. Um, you know, being like a Pharisee and it's like, and it's like it, but how easy they can just take that narrative and flip it and be like, oh, no, 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 I'm Jesus and the Pharisees are these, uh, you know, these, these progressives, you know, <laughs> which yeah. doesn't even which, make any sense. But, but it's interesting how that narrative can, can, can be spun. Well, it's, I think it's interesting. I think, yeah, I think traditionalists do that, but I do also think progressives do. I think everybody does that because everybody just assumes that like, well, the thought processes and the truth that I have is just, it's mm-hmm. the right one. And mm-hmm. I think that we just have to be humble enough and big enough to say like, we aren't mm-hmm. that, that we can't, and we never will be like, we will never arrive like we want to yeah. arrive and neither will anybody else. And so like, instead of seeing this as like an us first them thing, it's, I think that we just need to see it as like, we're growing together and we have disagreements and like, who cares? Because like, we're growing together <laughs> and like, so yeah, I, I agree with what you say. I, you know, to, to push back on quote unquote, my tribe, like progressive Christians are just as, if, I mean, I don't want to say worse, but they're just as bad um, about like orthodoxy mm-hmm. <laughs> along what they, you know, their lines. And so um, we, like, I have some friends that are very, very, um, you know, fundamentalist in what they believe. And then I have a lot of friends that are really, really progressive in what they believe in we just have to be able to sit back and say like, you're not the Pharisee here and neither am I. And like, you know, we, that's because name calling, uh, name calling is a dead end, right? Like we talk about the process, the process of learning and the process of coming to truth. Well, like once you give somebody a moniker, then they become that moniker to you. And like, they're not able to transcend it or grow. You put them in a box and you're not letting them out. Right, which is right. wrong. <laughs> I think that, that I won't say many things are objectively wrong, but like that is <laughs> that is wrong. <laughs> Cole, can you talk more about uh, the uh, concept of progressive fundamentalism? Because that's something we definitely want to tackle in this series. Is most people who deconstruct start from a place of fundamentalist Christianity or conservative Christianity, 
and they deconstruct and maybe they're in a nebulous space for a while. It may be agnostic or maybe atheist. Um, yeah. And then maybe they reconstruct or maybe they end up in a space of progressive mm-hmm. Christianity or maybe they settle outside of Christianity. Um, but I've what's something that I've observed in a lot of progressive spaces, because as part of my journey, I've listened to a lot of people a lot of progressive voices and it's something that I've observed is this sense of progressive fundamentalism that um, it has to be this way. And that's something that alienates me from progressive yeah. Christianity is the fundamentalism the like the same fundamentalism mm-hmm. that I desire to leave yeah. is now right there. Can you talk more about how that manifests? Um, what are some examples of progressive fundamentalism and what are some ways that, you know, those of us who are undergoing faith transitions can oppose ending up in a new fundamentalism. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because, uh, yeah. And this, this happens a little bit politically too, or a lot politically where, you know, progressivism is seen as this thing that's, uh, all inclusive, but what happens is in being all inclusive, quote unquote, like you just, start hating other groups it's just tribalism in a different form and i think that a big step in like getting away from that is just saying like i'm not on teams anymore like i love jesus and i'm not that's why i i whenever i said a second ago my own quote-unquote tribe um i say quote-unquote with that because i don't want to be part of a tribe that's how other people see me but like i don't want to be part of whatever the definition is that you have of me. And no one does. No one wants to be just known by whatever tribe they're part of. Um, So progressive fundamentalism is like a super important thing to talk about with that, because I think people want belonging and they want like, they want tribes. They don't say that they do, but they really want tribes and they want to have bad guys. They want to have enemies. They want to have, um, something to oppose. And I think that like, that is exactly what happens with progressive Christianity. And it's why I say like, I've had some really rough, um, and wrong experiences with the church. Um, things that I'm comfortable saying, like we're just bad. Um, but whenever I talk about those things, I don't want to create this bad guy out of them because they aren't bad. They're not bad people. Like they, maybe people have bad ideas, but they're not bad people. Um, and so the tribes, like I'm done with them. I'm done with them forever. And I never want to be part of them again because all they exist to do is fight these temporal battles and, you know, fight over, you know, things that don't matter rather than loving each other. Like the fact that you can just sort of like say, Oh, well, like this is the, the singular problem with Christianity or this is the singular problem with the church today is like, well, maybe that's part of the problem, but like, it sounds like you're kind of building a boogeyman. Like the fact of the matter is we all probably have a share of the Mm -hmm. problems that we hear about in the church and we feel in the church. So instead of like trying to, you know, figure out who the Pharisees are and figure out who's Jesus in every circumstance, maybe we should start like, saying which this is what happens so much and especially like the mystical tradition of the church is saying like listen i don't know i don't know but like i do know this like jesus is lord i don't know much else and i think that once we sort of let go of those value judgments and that and that tribalism then we come to a place that's so much more 
um, healthy for the long term for like your your personal spiritual battle um, or not even battle, just journey, um, and also the church itself. Instead of becoming something that feels like it needs to be protected from attacks, from secularity and whatever, um, now we just see ourselves as adhering to this truth and loving everybody regardless of if they believe it or not. Yeah, that that leads me to an interesting question that I know people in the audience are thinking, and I've, I've actually thought about a good bit myself, um, as I have a lot of friends who are far deeper in the deconstruction than, than I am or ever will be um, when it comes to their faith and even particularly Christian doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw this tweet uh, maybe three weeks ago where this uh, uh, this woman on Twitter was like, if you are not believing in the divinity of Jesus, you're not deconstructing, you're not de- you're not just deconstructing, you're deconstructing, you're also not a believer. And she was like, it's fair to say that your deconstruction's healthy. Um, you you know, you're you're figuring things out, but it's like, but also like if you don't believe in the divinity of Jesus and you don't believe in these core creedal parts of the Christian faith, you may not be in the Christian faith. Now I will I will play my cards here. I will, I will do it. I kind of agree with her. <laughs> like if I'm honest, while I think it is healthy to be deconstructing, even if your deconstruction takes you there, I'm like at some point, kind of like if you were you know Islamic and you were like, well, I don't believe that Muhammad is the prophet or that um, that Allah is the one and only God. Well, at some point you're like, well, this is the opposite of what Islam believes, so you're not you're no longer in Islam, yeah. you know? And yeah. so kind of uh, where do you land with that? Do you hold the same kind of tension that I just presented of like, yeah, maybe it's healthy. You're deconstructing, you're figuring stuff out, but for the moment you've left the faith, maybe you'll come back. Maybe you won't. But when you, when you start to like kind of take away like core doctrine, maybe you've left the faith for a little bit and that's okay. Maybe you'll come back. Maybe you won't. Or, or would you articulate it differently or maybe still find kind of space in the faith for people who, who go to, to that extreme? I find, I find it difficult to – so I, I guess I disagree with you because mm-hmm. I find it difficult to tell somebody – I think it's I, – I guess I think that it's really um, – disingenuous to someone else's journey to tell them that if they believe that they're a Christian, that they're not a Christian. And I get, I get saying, you know, you're not in the creed or you don't believe this or you don't believe this. Um, and I think that there's really good things to sort of justify. Like, I think it's good to say like, I'm a creedal Christian, right. Or like I believe in inerrancy or I believe in, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever you want to do. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still a tribe. And like, I don't really care if someone, I mean, I get called a heretic all the time. And so, and I'm at the point where I don't really care that much anymore um, because it's just a name. They don't know what I believe. Um, And so all that to say, like, I let other people define what they understand to be their faith. Um, 
there's classical definitions of what heresy is and there's classical definitions of you know what we can say christianity is but the fact of the matter is if you go into any church and ask someone who's a christian they'll probably all have different ish answers mm-hmm. like for a long time it's like all right well do you believe the creed all right cool the creed is the confession of the christian faith but now you know in the modernist fundamentalist movement it's like we point to certain <laughs> verses and we're like well no this is what it means to be a christian and like that's what it's always meant because it's in the bible and it's like well no that's actually not what that meant <laughs> and and all you have to do is look at like the differences in the last two popes bonaventure and um benedict or, sorry, bonaventure benedict and francis, francis yeah. and see how freaking different they were to say all right maybe christianity is not quite as narrow as i think it is and maybe i should give people everybody a little bit more freedom in how it's defined. Um, Because more often than not, in my experience, whenever someone says I'm a Christian and you're not, they have a pretty narrow scope Mm -hmm. of what Christianity is. (laughs) They would, they would see other doctrines that say the wider Eastern Orthodox church believes and be like, Oh, well that's heresy. And they're not Christians either. It's like, okay, well, so where does this stop? Does this stop at the Southern Baptist Convention, right? Yeah. Like, does like are those the only true Christians out there? Um, so whatever people want to like for their own categorization, say that other people are for themselves. Sure, go ahead. But I think to tell somebody else that they're not a Christian is weird, I, and it's tribalistic. And like maybe quote unquote, you're right. Um, but what exactly are you doing with that, right? Like, why are you so obsessed with somebody either being in or being out? Is that so that you can now treat them either differently or in one way or another? Like, because you shouldn't be. Like, you should see them as a person with questions, I think. Well, what, what, one more a follow-up, right? So, the per the founder of the faith, Jesus, He's like, I am the Messiah. Like, so if someone were to be like, he's not, or I really love Jesus, he's a great prophet. So in that sense, I'm a Christian. It's like, what do we do with that? Also, we have Paul, who I know some people don't have the most fond opinions of him. I actually think he is the inventor of Christianity and an incredibly (laughs) inclusive individual. But even he had an understanding of like, this is what gets you at the table and this is what gets you not at the table. And he definitely did an incredible job of getting rid of the fluff that people thought got them at the table, like circumcision, the law. And he's like, no, what gets you at the table is you believe in Jesus. Um, But also that belief in Jesus is believing what Jesus said about himself. And so is, is there a space to say, hey, like, yes, you're deconstructing. Yes, that's good. But if you were to abandon what the founder said about himself, well, then maybe you're not actually following the founder. And and this is and this is this is honestly a lot of this is for the audience more than it is for me. No, I think, yeah, I think me and you have good. great conversations about this off script. But I know people would would think that or yeah. or have these questions kind of stir up. And so how do you, how do you wrestle? Well, let me, let me take a stab at this. So I'm, I think about this idea of, you know, what you're saying, Josh, that might be true, but I think what the, the rhetoric that Cole's using 
is saying, okay, you know, there's, there's probably some truth to like, quote unquote, who's in and who's out. I don't like that language and I don't know if it's the best, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to use it for now. It's like, there is some truth of like, there's some true answer of what does it mean to follow Jesus? And there's some true answer of what does it mean to not follow Jesus? However, mm-hmm. I think what Cole's saying is that it's not super helpful for us to try and define that because chances are we're going to be wrong. The The moment we try to define something is the, is the, and the more we try to define something, the more we risk uh, being incorrect. Whereas if we hold a posture of openness and we hold a posture of uh, welcoming, then, you know, it's like, yes, the answer is broader, but there's a greater chance that that answer encompasses the truth. So I, I wouldn't necessarily be like so open as to not make any value statements ever. That's not useful. However, when it comes to people and becomes when it comes to people's deconstruction journeys, it's not my job necessarily to say, oh, like you're deconstructing. Let me put you in this box of like, okay, based on what you said today, you go in this box. And I love to compartmentalize. So I know that that's my natural tendency. Um, And I like to put ideas in boxes and, and I'm actually comfortable putting ideas in boxes to a certain degree. But when we put people in boxes, we neglect or we fail to observe their complexity. And if someone's in process and you're like saying like, hey, let me put you in this box, putting them in that in that category doesn't actually help. Um, so while I would say, yeah, I think it I think if you're neglecting certain creeds or certain ideas, then you're then you're not following Jesus. And that's my opinion. However, if someone wants to call themselves a Christian and I disagree with them, that's fine. Like they can call themselves whatever they want. Um, my job is not to like argue with them over those definitions. I think my job is to, if I'm in community with them is to love them and have valuable conversations and mutually grow from those conversations. Like we're missing the forest for the trees when we focus on categorizing people instead of focus on, um, our own growth and also being part of a larger community that is a little messy. Mm-hmm. I love both of y'all. So I'm not going to let you off the hook with get one more follow. Cause I know the audience is processing through this. I totally agree. And personally, I like there's, there's like strong alt-right Christian nationalists that I wouldn't even personally go ahead and say, you're not a believer. Right. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't say that probably the closest I would actually come to saying to talking about someone's um, to, to categorizing, if you will, would be uh, you're not walking in step with the gospel, which is what Paul mm-hmm. said. And I actually really yeah. like that. Um, but someone would say, but you literally have people in the new Testament, Jesus, Paul, John the Baptist, so on and so forth, that would categorize that for ecclesiological Mm -hmm. purposes. Mm -hmm. They would say, hey, this person's not in, and this is why. Or that was a huge reason for baptism or for these symbols to say who's the the Lord's Supper, for who's in, who's out. And, And for them, it wasn't tribal. 
It was identifying who is going to be a part of the kingdom that's coming. And so to, to stay consistent with the New Testament ethic, I'm wondering how do we as churches, as people who believe in church membership, mm-hmm. these kind of things, like how do we lovingly engage people in their deconstruction journeys while still functioning as a, a body of people that is identifying and marking who's going to be a part of the kingdom that's coming and who is at risk of throwing their hands up to the kingdom yeah. that is coming. I'll go first, Cole, since I think my answer will be less interesting than yours. Um, I would just say I actually don't have a problem with drawing lines. My problem is with the amount of certainty and how tightly the lines mm-hmm. are drawn. So for me, my posture when it comes to local churches and the the body of Christ is always reform. I want to be reforming. I'm I'm all about the subtle tweaks, you know, I'm all about slow progress, having hard conversations and um doing new things, trying new strategies. But for me, it's like the local church model. I am passionate about the local church model. Even in all of my years of deconstruction, like even when I was agnostic or atheist or like I couldn't read my Bible for months, I still went to church every Sunday and I still went to life group every week. And I still was like intimately connected with a body of believers because I believe I personally believe that that model is healthy and part of that model involves drawing these lines and so i just think that in general we need to be you know in the american west we need to draw those lines wider and we need to be more flex be more comfortable um, being in community with people we disagree with but i do think it's important to acknowledge when we disagree and we're we're saying we disagree with an idea but we're not like you know destroying we're not rejecting the core of a person so that's the kind of subtle nuance that I'm trying to get out. But I Cole, I have a feeling that you'll have a more interesting answer. No, that was really, really good. And I agree with just about every part of it. I think like there's for for somebody who has gone through the process of deconstruction um to the point where people don't think that you're a Christian anymore. Um the pain that comes from someone deeming you that when you desperately want so badly not to be that is like immeasurable. Um, so this is a way of saying it. There's, there's days where, you know, you wake up with doubts about every aspect of Christianity. Um, and then there's days that you don't, and those days of doubt don't define you in the same way that those days where you do believe Mm -hmm. define you. Um, And so for somebody to say that uh, because inconsistency is part of who we are, right. And coming back to that, to say that somebody is not a Christian because of this season of life, them being, you know, um, out of whatever you believe the bounds of. and, And I would also push back on, I think that there's a lot more diversity of what, who's in who's out um like who believes what on that front within the old or the new testament um i think that it's a lot more ambiguous than than maybe it's portrayed to be with, with i mean we say okay well you're saved by grace through faith okay well 
you know, lots of rich people. Um, uh, Jesus says that they're not going to get into heaven, even though they believe it's like, okay, well, like, so I think that there's just a lot more nuance in that whole discussion. I want to bring it to this point though. There's a guy, I don't know if y'all are familiar with named Paul Maxwell. Um, he was, uh, like a reformed scholar. Um, he published his, his dissertation, um, on, um, the trauma of doctrine is what it was called. And, Essentially, what he argues is aspects of reformed Calvinistic theology um, can negatively affect, like, essentially your psychology. Um, And he's a Christian. Well, I want to say maybe a week ago, maybe a little over a week ago, um, he announces that he's no longer a Christian. Okay, so there's there's two patterns of thought that I've seen with this. One is um, he's no longer a Christian, and so what he said was false teaching, right? Um, what, what he said isn't in line with Scripture or the Gospel because he no longer believes in Jesus. And then there's the other line of thinking that's, well, you know, he believed what he said. <laughs> to, to say that he didn't is, you know, a little bit... Um, I think it's wrong to just not give someone the benefit of the doubt to write their entire dissertation and go to years of seminary, which these are at evangelical mm-hmm. institutions that he went to, by the way. Um, I think it's dumb to say that that, that doesn't count for anything. Um, and which to bring it back to this idea of like, all right, who's in, who's out, who's a Christian, who's not like the, the, the scriptural, the, canonical the church traditions all of these things like are way harder to put in a box than we think than 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 we want them to be like there's a lot of things about scripture that really are uncomfortable and don't necessarily i i tweeted this today don't necessarily fit into our paradigm of what um the gospel is or what the bible is ecclesiastes Nothing about that book. I was reading that today. Nothing about that book. If you were to just give someone that book and say, uh, this is from, you know, a different religion, they'd be like, this is heretical. Right. right. Like they really would. <laughs> like, um, there's the po- there's a lot of postmodernism, a lot of nihilism, a lot of like it's just like there's a there's a mm-hmm. bunch going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's part of our tradition. And I think that, that di- so that diversity of thought and the, that way of thinking of things is part of the Christian tradition. And I think that in the same way that that is part of the Christian tradition, all these other things that we're hesitant to say because they don't believe the exact same thing aren't part of the Christian tradition. I don't think that those, I, I think that's a little short sighted right. to say, yeah. I guess. I, yeah, I, I think both of y'all's answers are lovely. I am very interested to hear how a lot of people in the audience wrestle with this. I got literally got people yeah. in mind yeah. that I'm thinking of. <laughs> Um, I, I do. And, and yeah, I, I, in, in many ways, I, I actually disagree with both of y'all, but I think, uh, I, I, I thought both of y'all's answers were, were great. And, and Cole, I agree. I think, uh, I think the new Testament is certainly more tricky when it comes to that conversation of who's in and who's out than we want to think. So yeah, I, I love both of y'all's answers. I'm excited to hear kind of how the audience wrestles with this. Y'all please send us emails. Because I think this is one of the more interesting conversations that 
we're going to have in this deconstruction right. uh, series. Cole, I mean, we, we really love this conversation. Do you have any final thoughts before we close? No, man, you should, you guys should go though to unorthodoxy, not to read anything that I've read, but to read what Josh read. Um, absolutely incredible piece. Um, really mm-hmm. vulnerable and some of the best writing I think, I think I've seen in a long time. So, um, it's called why I hate talking about race. Um, and geez, um, love him to death. And I'm so proud of who he is and that I got to publish that on our website so also wait also last thing if nikki's going to be on uh this podcast which i think she is like oh yeah she's so much smarter <laughs> than me and you need to listen to that one and while you're at it you know what? i'm just going to give everybody i don't know unorthodoxy to shout out jamie jamie arthur she does all the <laughs> graphics and stuff she's the best um you should go follow her not only that but like also her personal account because it's pretty sick too um yeah it, 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 and then and then we got catch on board now who's going to be doing we're getting some audio stuff maybe going to like you guys are doing so uh all be exciting um go follow unorthodoxy go read josh's piece i love you guys yeah. both so much Gosh, much love, Cole. Much love. Well, th- thanks, man. And uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Um, listeners, we'll link in the show notes to where you can connect more with Cole. W- why don't you go ahead and say your Instagram handle? Uh, my personal Instagram handle is uh, Cole7, uh, C0LE7. And then uh, Unorthodoxies is uh, at underscore Unorthodoxy. Um, at underscore Unorthodoxy. Um, if you want to, that, that's where I usually try to like field sort of questions slash talk with people. By the way, you never said, uh, well, we never asked what's the origin of the name unorthodoxy. Like, how'd you come up with that? Uh, dude, I was tired with orthodoxy. (laughs) I was tired with with all those boxes. I was tired with all those boxes and I said, you know what? Maybe I am a heretic. Maybe I am unorthodox, but like, this is just, that's what we're doing. (laughs) Here we go. Y'all, yeah, whoever whoever's out there calling Cole a heretic, stop. He's not a heretic. That's my beloved brother. He is not a heretic. I've 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 met very few people in this world that manifest the love of Jesus the way this guy does, and that makes people feel the love of Jesus the way this guy does. So stop it. If anyone's walking in the footsteps of Rabbi Jesus, it's this guy. So I, I just wanted to, because I, I, you've said it a couple of times, and I know that 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 whole moniker is out there. And I'm gonna just shut that down. The devil is a lie. Cole's not a heretic. Get out of here. <laughs> I love you, dude. That's that's that means a lot. Mm-hmm. Listeners, thanks for listening once again to the Moral Minority Show. Uh, this is season six, where we're discussing deconstruction. What does it mean to go through a faith transition and how can we process that in a healthy way? Thanks for joining us on this episode with Unorthodoxy with Cole Niles. And be sure to tune in next time. Mm-hmm.